Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society, is made possible in part by the Department of State Division of Historical Resources and the State of Florida. It's also made possible by the Jesse Ball DuPont Fund and by the historic Rossiter House Museum and Gardens in O'Galley, celebrating pioneer history, the natural environment, and women's history. Available for weddings and events at rossiterhousemuseum.org. This is Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society, on the web at myfloridahistory.org. I'm Ben Broatmarkle, and coming up on the program, as holiday shopping gets underway in earnest, we'll talk with the authors of award-winning books on Florida history and culture. And it's an extra honor for me to be recognized with the prize that bears the name of Stetson Kennedy, a man I have long considered a Florida hero, legend, and inspiration. We'll discuss Florida homes built in the 1920s. After World War I, a lot of people moved to the state of Florida. A lot of land speculators started selling land sight unseen. And we'll talk about New Deal public works projects from the 1930s. All that ahead on Florida Frontiers. Every year, the Florida Historical Society presents awards to the authors of outstanding books about Florida history and culture. If you're looking for gift ideas this holiday season, these award-winning books are a great place to start. The Charlton DeBow Award is for an outstanding general interest book on a Florida history topic. DeBow was a longtime professor of history at the University of Miami and author of the classic book A History of Florida. Mark Lane is a columnist for the Daytona Beach News Journal. His book, Roaring Reptiles, Bountiful Citrus, and Neon Pies, An Unofficial Guide to Florida's Official Symbols, earned the 2020 Charlton DeBow Award. I remember being like pleasantly surprised uh, when, when the award was first announced because the, the subcategory of historical humor writing is not jam-packed with titles and uh, not everyone is even happy that it exists. So I'm, I'm grateful to your organization that uh, you and your judges are not easily offended. Uh, I'm a newspaper columnist by trade and I find that my most negative blowback comes from people who thought they were settling into a well-behaved policy think piece only to encounter uh, bemused ridicule, exaggeration, and mockery of our hardworking public servants. So uh, add to that cheap jokes at the expense of our glorious past, revered, revered symbols, and illustrious forebearers, and you're not necessarily creating a crowd pleaser. So I, I was uh, delighted uh, at this recognition. My college background is actually in history, not in journalism. I lucked into uh, uh, I was in Boston University and found out that being an undeclared major was not something you could actually have on your diploma. So uh, having to come up with something fast, I realized that by studying history, I could explore anything I wanted as long as it already happened, uh, which is the kind of limitation I can work with. Uh, and although a master's degree in history is something that no job description I know has ever demanded. It's a background that has really served me exceedingly well in journalism because 
it teaches you to assess the re reliability of sources and come up with good reasons for the why things happened the way they did and to write clearly about what you find out in the process. And these are analytical habits and writing practices we could stand to see more of in media and public life. So thank you for uh, honoring history written for a pub popular audience, uh, an audience that is out there, that is hungry for more and helps support the vital work of the prose. Thank you. Mark Lane's book, Roaring Reptiles, Bountiful Citrus and Neon Pies, An Unofficial Guide to Florida's Official Symbols, is published by University Press of Florida. The Rembert Patrick Award is for the outstanding scholarly book on a Florida history topic. Rembert Patrick was a longtime professor of history at the University of Florida and author of the acclaimed book, Florida Under Five Flags. David J. Nelson is professor of history at Abraham Baldwin Agricultural College at Bainbridge, Georgia, and author of the book, How the New Deal Built Florida Tourism, the Civilian Conservation Corps, and State Parks. Obviously, any award, any recognition uh, for anybody who writes, especially in history, uh, because so few people <laughs> often read our work, uh, it always feels good, regardless. But as a, as a Floridian and somebody who openly calls themselves a Florida historian. Uh, this really does mean a lot. Um, the Florida S Historical Society has always been part of my academic career, uh, going back to when I was an undergrad and first started going to the meetings, to workshops I've done there, to research I've done at the library, um, and, and, to, and to publishing in the journal. Um, I mean, it's always so exciting that anytime you're working on a research project and you go down these academic or archival rabbit holes and you wonder is this does anybody care other than me so again it just feels so good uh, to have people recognize that work but for me personally coming from the florida historical society really does mean a lot as i said um, when i first started out as an undergrad at university of north florida in my hometown of jacksonville one of the very first classes i took was florida history by Dr. Susan Parker that spring of 97. And I took classes with Dan Schaefer and Michael Francis and archeologist Robert Toonan. All of them not only sparked my interest in Florida history, but also encouraged me to continue my studies. And I can distinctly remember in uh, March of 1997, sitting in the library at UNF, I had a couple of Florida Historical Quarterly Journals in front of me. Now I was doing a project and I remember seeing the name of Susan Parker and Dan Schaefer and others such as Gerald Schaffner in there. And I just remember thinking, if I could just get published in here, if I could just be accepted by it and be a part of that group, that's all I want. And uh, it took about 10 years to get into the journal. And now with this award, I feel like I've done it. Um, this may be the last thing I ever do, but, but I feel like I've done it and I, it does, um, I do feel like I fulfilled 20 years ago. I finally did it. The book, How the New Deal Built Florida Tourism by David J. Nelson is published by University Press of Florida. Patrick Smith was author of the much-loved novel A Land Remembered that incorporated Florida history into a fictional setting. The Patrick D. Smith Award is for an outstanding novel on a Florida history topic. Robert N. McComer is a former Department of Defense consultant and an accomplished sailor. His novel, Honoring the Enemy, a Captain Peter Wake novel, looks at America's landing in Spanish-controlled Cuba in 1898.
it was a great pleasure and I looked forward to it for many years in working with the research on this and looking at the locales to tell the story of what Tampa was like in 1898 and how that war changed American history forever and impacts us to this very day. And it all started, of course, in Florida. Uh, that's where the staging area for the invasion of Cuba was. And uh, it is a great honor to get the award that is named for Patrick Smith. I knew Patrick Smith. My very first book got this award also almost 20 years ago. And it is, uh, it means a tremendous amount to me having written many uh, books about Florida to have this award for this newest one. So thank you very, very much. And I am del absolutely delighted and honored to have this award. Thank you. Honoring the Enemy by Robert N. McComer is published by the Naval Institute Press. The Harry T. and Harriet V. Moore Award is for an outstanding book focused on ethnic groups and social issues. The Moors were educators and civil rights activists who were killed by domestic terrorists who planted a bomb under their home on Christmas night, 1951. Christine Ardeland is a history lecturer at Florida International University and author of the book, The Public Health Nurses of Jim Crow, Florida. I felt so moved and so honored by receiving this award. Uh, and, and I would really like to thank everyone uh, for um, selecting it. Uh, I was um, mentioning to, to Ben in my email a, a, a little while ago that I grew up in England not knowing much about American history, in fact, perhaps not knowing anything about American history, fulfilled my childhood ambition to become a nurse, and which I did in London. And uh, subsequently, uh, much later, uh, after living in uh, Vancouver and California and Washington DC, I came to Miami. And it was there that I returned to school and started to take history classes. I loved them. My first project then was about the history of nursing and that was when I met Thelma Gibson. Uh, dear Thelma Gibson was such a great inspiration and support to my work. She introduced me to her colleagues, her nursing colleagues, who taught me about uh, African-American history and introduced me to uh, so many aspects that I had first, per, um, they gave me first person accounts of. It was uh, a, a very, very interesting and informative time for me. And that has been, uh, the history of nursing has been my life's work ever since. So I would like to thank uh, Thelma Gibson for introducing me to her colleagues and for uh, introducing me to the, the, um, the, the issues of civil rights. And for, it was then that I, I learned about Harry and Harriet Moore. And I would like to, um, I, I do so much appreciate this award in their honor. Thank you. The Public Health Nurses of Jim Crow, Florida by Christine Ardelan is published by University Press of Florida. The Stetson Kennedy Award is for a Florida-related book supportive of human rights, traditional cultures, or the natural environment. 
Stetson Kennedy is best known for his books Palmetto Country and The Klan Unmasked. John M. Dunn is a journalist, educator, and water advocate. He wrote the book Drying Up the Freshwater Crisis in Florida. Well, I feel extremely complimented that my book was chosen to receive this award. And it's an extra honor for me to be recognized with the prize that bears the name of Stetson Kennedy, a man I have long considered a Florida hero, legend, and inspiration. I was lucky to have been present at a few of Stetson's talks about the Klan and other matters over the years. And I've conversed with him a few times and I was uh, at his memorial service or one of his memorial services last year. And it was attended by uh, hundreds of people whose lives he had touched. Along with Stetson, I am a native Floridian, and in my seven decades, I've been witness to the relentless destruction of Florida's natural world. And like Stetson, I used a journalistic writing style in drawing up the fresh water crisis in Florida to provide, I hope, a comprehensive look at Florida's water woes, which include overpumping, hydrology destruction, water pollution, and sea level rise. But I also tried to end the book with advice from experts on what we can do to preserve and restore what we've lost. And I'd like to uh, end by saying that I appreciate that by uh, spotlighting my book, the, the Florida Historical Society uh, is also helping to bring this much needed attention to one of our most pressing environmental problems. And I'm grateful for that effort. And I'm very honored to be here today. So thank you, thank you very much. The John M. Dunn book, Drying Up, The Freshwater Crisis in Florida, is published by the University Press of Florida. James J. Horgan was a history professor at St. Leo College and a former Florida Historical Society board member. The James J. Horgan Award is for an outstanding book based on Florida history intended for young readers. Author J.A. Kennedy based her novel Don't Tell, The Secrets of Pinehurst Seminary on actual events from the life of her maternal grandfather. I feel very honored. Um, you know, I don't think I've ever won, won an award for anything. Um, so this is very special to me. Um, Florida history is everything to me. Um, I'm a fifth generation Floridian. Um, my family settled here before it was a state, um, and I'm also a genealogy buff. And between that and uh, the stories my mother used to tell me about her Florida, grow, growing up in Florida in her young years, um, and what her father did in Florida, it was just amazing to me. And the story, um, unfortunately, was a story that most people would be shocked to hear now. Um, the abuse, the neglect, the just horrible situation that these children faced day in, day out at this boarding school in St. John's County. And um, I was able to corroborate what my grandfather told my mother by newspaper articles. There were other former students who spoke out about this. And um, it was quite horrifying, actually. And I was able to put it into words that a fourth grader, maybe fifth grader, could um, be entertained by and understand. And I'm hoping that 
maybe someday it'll get recognized by Brevard County School Board or others <laughs> and uh, get put in the classroom. That would be something else. The J.A. Kennedy novel, Don't Tell, The Secrets of Pinehurst Seminary, is published by the Florida Historical Society Press. To see the entire FHS Awards presentation, go to myfloridahistory.org slash annual meeting and click on Day 2. This is Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society. I'm Ben Broatmarkle. At myfloridahistory.org, all books published by the Florida Historical Society Press are now on sale for 50% off the cover price. Shop safely and conveniently online. That's myfloridahistory.org. Joining us now is Ben DiBiase, Director of Educational Resources for the Florida Historical Society and Archivist at the Library of Florida History in Cocoa. Ben, Florida experienced a land boom in the 1920s when many homes were built. Yeah, that's right, Ben. The 1920s was really one of the first major land booms in Florida's history. In the late 19th century, we had a, uh, a surge in the state's population. But in the 1920s, after World War I, a lot of people moved to the state of Florida. A lot of land speculators started selling land sight unseen throughout the state of Florida. But we saw a massive influx of people. So by the end of the decade, by 1930, there were about 1.4, 1.5 million people in the state. Now, by today's standards, that's fairly small. But compare that to 1900, at the turn of the 20th century, where there were closer to half a million people, that's an enormous expansion. You know, over 50% of the population grew within just a few short decades. So with that came, of course, infrastructure improvements, but also homes, private residences throughout the state. That included growing metropolitan areas like Miami, Orlando, Jacksonville, Pensacola, Tampa, and places like that, but also more rural areas. And you also saw an influx of wealthy uh, folks who were moving into Florida and building these large mansions. Uh, along the uh, coastal regions, but also in the interior. And they were kind of getting into this land speculation and and the, the land boom that was occurring in the 1920s. Now, you have a publication here that's primarily photographs of homes, many that were owned by very wealthy people. Yeah, that's right. What we're looking at is a unique publication. There aren't that many out there. It was produced by the Commissioner of Agriculture, uh, which is kind of hard to believe. You know, at that time, the Commissioner of Agriculture was in charge of a lot of of different departments, and that included the Office of the Commissioner of Immigration, which was originally founded back in 1868, became part of the Commissioner of Agriculture's auspices in 1885. And into the 20th century, a big part of, of taxpayer money was put towards trying to attract people to move to Florida. And this publication is a a very tangible record of that effort. It's a beautiful book. It was um, bound actually by the record company up in St. Augustine, and there was a a plate company in in Tampa that laid out these really wonderfully done. Many are actually colorized plates. And as you said, it's it's simply just a book showing off the best and uh, various types of, of homes that are built throughout Florida. And in the introduction, there's very little verbiage, very little writing, but there is a a short preface. It was written by the Commissioner of Agriculture's office. And they say 
here, quote, thousands of people come annually to Florida for a few weeks or months during the winter season, stopping at the splendid hotels and apartment houses that are to be found in nearly every tourist center, and these persons have long since learned the facts concerning Florida as a winter resort. But there is another thing that some have learned and many are now discovering, that Florida is a place to live, unquote. And there's an emphasis on the word live. So they're trying to get people not only to come here during the winter months, but live here year round. And with this came a lot of infrastructure and improvement. And again, this was just an effort, kind of a, uh, a promotional effort on, on behalf of the state government to try and get people to move here. And there are a lot of famous individuals that we would recognize, folks like J.C. Penney, you know, the, the, who headed the famous department store, Thomas Edison. Henry Ford. We have various mayors from other uh, large towns throughout America who built homes here. We have the uh, John D. Rockefeller had a, a, a palatial home that we see photographed here. And the list goes on and on. But again, it's not only just the most prominent homes in Florida, but they were trying to provide readers with kind of an example of what you could, you could carve out your own little piece of paradise in Florida. This could be one of your homes, sort of, if you will. Now, some of the architectural styles depicted in this book have become iconic in Florida, and many of these homes still exist today, right? Yeah, that's right. These homes in 1930 were, of course, brand new. They were cutting edge, new technology, things like that. And now they're, they've become kind of cultural resources. One great example is the Cadizan, uh, John Ringling's house down in Sarasota. That's featured here in the book. Uh, we have Henry Flagler's home down in West Palm. You know, these have become now museums. A lot of the, the architectural styles that are represented include Mediterranean Revival, which was very common in the 1920s and became very popular throughout the entire state of Florida. But you also see Colonial Revival homes that were uh, popular, these plantation-style estates that were popular in North Florida, in what would have been the, the Cotton Belt region of Florida. But you also see some rather unusual styles that really didn't take off in Florida, one of which is called uh, Dutch South African, and it has these very elaborate carvings and poured concrete on the, on the roofs and ceilings. So there's definitely some variety within these types of homes, and this book is a wonderful record to kind of give us a snapshot of what was happening at a very difficult time in Florida's history. 1930, Florida is in the Great Depression. So here the state is, is spending taxpayer money to try and attract wealthy industrialists to move to Florida, live here year-round, and, and hopefully bring some of that tax base or increase that tax base for the state. Great. Well, thanks, Ben. Sure. Thank you. Ben DiBiase is Director of Educational Resources for the Florida Historical Society and Archivist at the Library of Florida History in Coco. To see some of the homes we've been talking about, check out our web extras at myfloridahistory.org. This is Florida Frontiers. In the 1930s, New Deal public works projects had an impact in Florida. Holly Baker is public history coordinator for the Florida Historical Society and manager of the Brevard Museum of History and Natural Science. Dr. Robert Krause is an architectural historian and a disaster response specialist who works in Houston, Texas. Dr. Krause wrote an article in the summer 2018 issue of the Florida Historical Quarterly Journal called New Deal Public Works in the Florida Panhandle, 1933-1940. He recently talked to me about President Franklin D. Roosevelt's New Deal and how it transformed Florida through federal programs meant to employ Americans during the economic downturn of the Great Depression. New Deal Public Works, and really what we mean by that are any federally funded projects 
that uh, changed both the human and uh, environmental space during the New Deal period. And, and they fall under, the, of course, the alphabet agencies, the blanket uh, of those. And really, it, you know, the New Deal Public Works, and especially in places like Florida and in Mississippi, they usher in a period of tremendous economic, social, and political change. Transformation, really, of the natural environment and the human-built environment in the early 20th century. One of the most successful programs of the New Deal was the Civilian Conservation Corps, or CCC, a federal worker relief program intended to employ young men to work on construction and conservation projects throughout the United States. The work done by the CCC in Florida between 1933 and 1942 established several state parks that are still enjoyed by visitors today. CCC workers built picnic facilities, buildings, fences, roads, and other infrastructure in order to make the parks accessible to the public. The establishment of the Florida State Park System is really driven by the CCC and uh, their efforts on the ground throughout the state. Um, I think the Florida State Parks were uh, most notably a new presence and visible presence in the Panhandle. So you have places like Florida Caverns being um, actually surveyed by CCC crews and uh, the first tourism in uh, Defuniac Springs. Also alongside the commercial aspects of this, the scientific piece, revolutionary kind of science that's emerging from this uh, on ecology and botany in places like Terea Pines State Park in Gadsden County. And uh, I think this speaks to the sort of uh, utilitarian appreciation that New Deal had for environmental facets in the natural environment. The New Deal also significantly impacted Florida through road and bridge construction projects. Inspired by the Good Roads movement of the 1890s, these construction projects predated the Interstate Highway Program, developed by President Dwight D. Eisenhower in the 1950s, and led to the integration of car culture and increased tourism in the state. One example of the uh, use of public money to improve the infrastructure of the New Deal period in Florida was the Good Roads Program. What became the Gulf Coast Highway gained a, an impressive new bridge, the Gory Bridge opened to traffic in 1935, and that allowed Apalachicola to become connected with the rest of Florida. The uh, federal money in Calhoun County actually completed a major long-span steel bridge over the Apalachicola River that I believe is still in use. And it was one of those road and bridge construction projects in the Panhandle that fueled uh, growth and the development really of that uh, the industrial military complex in the region those road building projects were really transformative. New Deal construction projects also impacted communities throughout Florida by building new schools, playgrounds, libraries, gymnasiums, and other recreational facilities. Dr. Kraus. Another way that you see this manifest is uh, in municipal and local construction projects. South of Ocala, uh, a lot of those municipal local construction projects were built on existing facilities, whereas in the Panhandle, particularly in counties that were majority African-American like Gadsden and Washington, you had a, a situation where there were no facilities to begin with. So schools were built, swing sets were built, uh, you know, recreational equipment, uh, and, and boat docks, marinas were transformed. I mean, so this had a very wide-ranging impact on the local economy, particularly in places that to us would appear much more isolated than they are even now. Many of the roads and bridges we traverse to get to Panama City or Apalachicola didn't exist then. And the New Deal infrastructure allows those things to happen. So to me, uh, the New Deal and, and these basically construction projects changed the face of Florida as markedly as anywhere else in the country. There are those very localized impacts uh, that remain today and, and the sort of broader patterns that do as well. 
For Florida Frontiers, I'm Holly Baker, Public History Coordinator for the Florida Historical Society and Manager of the Brevard Museum of History and Natural Science in Cocoa. You've been listening to Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society. Please join us right here again next week. Until then, visit us anytime on the web at myfloridahistory.org, where you can also watch our television series, Florida Frontiers. Production assistance for Florida Frontiers comes from Ben DiBiase and Holly Baker. Our web extras are produced by Jerry Klein. The program is edited by John White. Stay safe and have a great week. I'm Ben Brookmarkle. Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society, is made possible in part by the Department of State Division of Historical Resources and the State of Florida. It's also made possible by the Jesse Ball DuPont Fund and by the historic Rossiter House Museum and Gardens in O'Galley, celebrating pioneer history, the natural environment, and women's history. Available for weddings and events at rossiterhousemuseum.org.